With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pour one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Pick up a 12-pack today. Enjoy your HN Podcast, Miller and Days. Time to talk a lot of college football from week two. Just finished and we'll begin talking about Iowa's 44-41 to victory over Iowa State. I've said a lot. I've written a lot. I've posted a number of video clips on the website. Just go to Film Room and look for Iowa State uh, to see some of the things that I saw after watching it a second and third time. I have more thoughts I want to share, but I will pave the way for Mr. Dace here on what he thought of that, what I think is the best Iowa State game of my lifetime. It's certainly in the conversation, no doubt. You know, I mean, it, it, it's eerily similar to the Steel Jance game of five years ago, just with the, more of the result that uh, Hawkeye Nation would prefer. Obviously. By the way, by the way. The, the, the previous best game in this series, my ranking, 2002. So just so you are not don't, so you don't think I'm picking a win. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that, that was a great game, too. I mean, that was one of my all-time favorite evenings if we're ever working in sports media was that night, but we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I, I think that, well, you, have a, you had a great stat on Twitter earlier today about this being a barometer game for Iowa um, and uh, about where their program's at because it's similar to why Northern Iowa is a barometer game for Iowa State. A lot of people think, a lot of Iowa fans think that Iowa is the barometer game for Iowa State, and it's not. It is, it's an event. It's a rivalry game. But the barometer for the kind, when I say by barometer, and it's extremely important to Iowa State. What I mean by barometer, though, is there have been several seasons when Iowa State has lost to Iowa and they've still played in bowl games. Never in school history has Iowa State lost to Northern Iowa and made it to a bowl game. That's because because that gives you an idea of where Iowa State is at with its with, with that season's team. Is it below the the water level or above? And that's sort of what your your graphic today pointed out Iowa State is for Iowa with the exception of that 0-2 season a loss to Iowa State usually portends that um, you know it's it's not going to be a special season in Iowa City isn't that what your graphic yeah it, it, it did and, and before people say well duh that's like one more win when you win and one less win when that's you lose point. yes that that is the point that is the point but yeah, because but, you, have to look at where the pro, you have to look where the programs are at. Right. Iowa, Iowa's goal of a, of a quality season is, did we compete for the Big Ten championship? Iowa State's goal of, of a quality season is, did we make a bowl game? 
Okay, and so if you're not, if you're Iowa, chances are if you can't beat Iowa State, not all the time, you have 2002, but most of the time, if you can't beat Iowa State, that means you probably can't beat Wisconsin. Right, right. Okay, if for, 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 for Iowa State, if they can't beat Northern Iowa, that means they probably can't beat Iowa or beat, you know, uh, Texas Tech, or you know, if you know what I'm trying to say. The kind of games they need to win to get to that those six wins, and, and that's what this game has traditionally been for Iowa. That's the kind of metric we're talking about. It is, and for some background, for those of you that didn't see the tweet, I plugged every one of the Iowa-Iowa State games of the Ferens era into a spreadsheet, had the results, and then I shaded it to show in the years, in, in the, now Kirk Ferens is now 10-9 and nine against Iowa. In the, ten, in, in the years when Iowa has beaten Iowa State, their average wins per year for those years is 8.2. Mm-hmm. In the years when Iowa has lost to Iowa State, their average wins is 5.8 there you go so if you if even if you say okay duh john that's one less win they're gonna of course they're gonna have a lower average add that win back in and make it 6.8 we're still talking about 8.2 versus 6.8 we're talking about a very large gap a gap larger than just the one win so this has absolutely been indicative And, and somebody else pointed this out to me the sample size is rather small but in years when Iowa has won in Ames, here's Iowa's win total. 10, 11, 8, and 12. At there you average, go. 10.25 wins per there year when they've yeah, won in I mean, Ames. That tells you all you need to know. And I think it's because, you know, you. I think you really touched on something. And I think you actually borrowed from um, the Morehouse Dockerman yeah, um, yeah. podcast. Yeah. Uh, the, the environment that Iowa has to play there, the intimacy, even though it's now one of the larger stadiums in the Big 12, if you can believe it, but still the intimacy of that setting, the, the uh, you know, ferocity of the, uh, of the haterade uh, in that stadium is a, t- is, a, is a test of what things are, are like when you go to Madison or some of those places in the Big 10, which are obviously bigger stages, but... Um, it, it gives you an idea of the hostile environment you'll have to overcome to win in those places. And, and because of that environment, you know, it's similar. I was talking to my editor, who one of my employees on my day job, and he's a big Packer fan. And one of the things that uh, him and I were talking about, we were looking at the upcoming NFL season is we were comparing his Packers to my Lions. Man one to 53, those teams are pretty even. Packers really aren't that great, man one to 53. Uh, the problem is man number one all right and to beat the packers you have to be five to seven points better than them on that day and there's not too many nfl teams that are consistently five to seven points better than every other nfl team because something like 85 percent of the games the nfl get decided by eight points or less all right so when 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 the other team has aaron Rodgers and every game is decided by eight points or less that means they're one possession games most of the time and you know if he gets the ball at the end of the game He's going to score almost nine, you know, nine times out of ten, which means you have to be a lot better than the rest of that roster to compensate for his factor, if you know what I'm trying to say here. And that's the same thing that goes for Iowa. Iowa, because of the environment they face in Ames and how much emphasis Iowa State puts on this game, and I think that was even added this year because of the way Iowa just depanted and embarrassed Iowa State physically a year ago. So you throw that factor in, you've got to be a lot better than them. If it's relatively close, 
the emotion of that moment. We have seen this in this rivalry. I think I pointed out in last week's uh, Thursday Game Week prediction podcast, since 1998, that's 19 years, there have been eight straight-up wins for Iowa State as an underdog. The only other main, only other Power 5 rivalry I can think of where that is true, where one team has eight straight-up wins as a Vegas underdog, and I don't even know I don't know that it's true, but the only one I could think of that comes that comes close to that is Texas and Oklahoma, where year in and year out it seems like whichever team is in the tank wins that game. That doesn't typically happen that you get eight straight up wins as an underdog in 20 years. That means you're doing that almost one out of every 1.5 seasons. That's that tells you the emotion Iowa State takes into this environment, and so that also tells you that to compensate for that emotion, Iowa has to be a lot better. And chances are, when they, when, when, when that, that's why you have that, that stat of how good Iowa's seasons are when they win in Ames, because it meant that they were much better than Iowa State, which on a physical level, which translates to what you will see the rest of the way when they're not facing those environments. That's one of the reasons why I think this was a huge win for Iowa. I think it was a huge win for Iowa for two other factors. One, you had to do it playing a style of football that you are not accustomed to playing. Iowa State got the game that it wanted. It got the game that it wanted. If you, if almost anybody would have looked at the stat line of Jacob Park, for example, and it, what did we talk about on Thursday? First time since Seneca Wallace, Iowa State has the quarterback that can make the throws that Iowa's defense demands that you make. Okay, and and so that combined with the stress on that defense, then later in the game they got some broken coverages they took advantage of for big plays as well. They got the game. Iowa State got the game it wanted. It even overcame Iowa's 21 to 10 early advantage, which that's the moment mentally. If you're Iowa State, you're thinking, "Uh oh, this might just look like last year. They came right back and took the lead. They had a double digit lead with about six and change to go at the end of the game. This was to draw up how it would look if the Cyclones were going to win. This is the way the game would look. Iowa had to go there and beat Iowa State playing its own game, that Big 12 style of basketball on grass, last team with the ball wins. Which brings me to my third point. You then had to do it with a first-year starting quarterback that's never faced anything like that hostile environment before, and you're playing a guy that I think is going to get drafted by the NFL next April, and Jacob Park. So you got to match him throw for throw, play for play, um, and, and you're not as attuned to your receivers as he's had for the last two years of preparing for this moment. And he played a lot last year when Nathan Stanley did not. So, so you had to do this with a, with a young quarterback that's never faced anything like this moment before at all. And, and then you got to do it again in overtime where one mistake, one botch snap, one fumble, one deflected pass, the game is over right there. And precision matters even more. Put all those factors together. You likely will not face a passing attack like this the rest of the year. Penn State has a great offense. Iowa State doesn't have a Saquon Barkley, and I think their passing game is actually better than Penn State's. They just don't have the kind of balance on offense that Penn State possesses with McSorley's running ability and Saquon Barkley's out of this universe ability. You won't face a passing attack like that all year. Even if you get to the Big Ten championship game, Michigan and Ohio State or Penn State, who you are going to play in a couple weeks, they're not bringing a passing attack like that on an indoor fast track in Indianapolis in December. So those were some major obstacles out of Iowa's element with a quarterback that's never had to lead the charge. It's one thing to go in there. It's impressive enough to beat Iowa State at its own game. And, you know, 
Wadley had a great game. But remember, I told you he might get his 100 yards. It was going to take 30 carries to get it. That's exactly what happened, okay? So it, it's one thing to go in there, and he rushes for 250 yards. That did not happen. You had to put him outside. You had to isolate him. You had to find other ways to get him the ball to make him a factor in this game. You throw all those things together like that, and it's only week two, and you do it in that environment. If I were a Hawkeye fan, I'd be very, very giddy about not just that we won that game, because you know it's a Iowa fans feel about the Iowa State game the way I feel about when Michigan and Iowa play. I just want to get the damn game over with, because it's like I can't even enjoy it if we win, because I, I everybody hates me one way or the other. Right. So, so you're relieved that it's over, but the way you had to win should make you feel very good about the season to come. I echo all those points. Um, talked about a lot of that in the Instant Reaction podcast. And as I've now watched the game, at least I was offensive sets um, two or three times each play. I, I feel even better about it for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. Um, Nathan Nate Stanley... Five touchdown passes. He's got eight through the first two games, and I tweeted this at the conclusion of the game on Saturday. When the last time Iowa changed offensive coordinators, they had a senior quarterback who had just thrown for 25 touchdown passes the previous year and over 3,000 yards. One of the best individual season uh, stat lines you will see in Iowa football history from James Vandenberg. Next year under Greg Davis... They threw for seven touchdown passes the entire season. Through two games, I was now thrown for eight. I will say that the play calling in this game was exceptional. I will also add that perhaps the era of Iowa predictability, quote-unquote, on offense may be coming to a close. I saw so many different plays run out of well, a number of different personnel groups. Nothing exotic, mind you, but the ace formation when you have a balanced line, tight ends on both sides of the line of scrimmage, two receivers, both of them split wide on opposite sides, and one running back. I can't tell you how many different variations with the tight ends and receivers that I saw out of that one formation. I mean, it's Brian Ferentz called a phenomenal football game, and he really. What he called is an NFL. I, I think you're right. He, he th- called a game. This is where I see this a lot watching a Jim Harbaugh offense every week. You ran an offense based on matchups. Yep. Not no, on scheme. No doubt. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and force my – now this is – and, I'm, and I'm, I'm not going nuts. I'm just making an observation. That's a Belichickian influence. On a given week, the Patriots – and you can do this in the NFL where you don't have 20-week – or 20-hour limitations where, you know, your coaches are pulling Joe Gibbs hours and, you know, sleeping on couches. The good teams in the NFL can literally reinvent themselves every single week. They, they can just sit there and say, hey, w- this is what the other team we know is going to take away from us, so this is what we have to do. So, you know, you go back to the best Patriot teams. One week, a guy named Jonas Gray might get four touchdown rushes. The next week, he ain't on the team. One week, LeGarrette Blunt gets 40 carries. The next week, Tom Brady throws 50 times. It's, 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 it's a scheme versatility game, whereas, yeah, we have a basic offense we want to run, but the, the basic offense we want to run is score more points than you. 
okay? Where the where the goal is to score enough points to win. Period. If it's if we need to win, if we need 24. That's where we're out to score. If we need 34. That's where we're out to score. A traditional Iowa offensive schematic metric would not have won this game on Saturday. The the willingness to be flexible, the willingness to do what it takes to win, as opposed to say it needs to look a certain way. I think that's 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 again something I'd be very excited about if I were an Iowa fan, particularly Kurt, with a Ronnie Harmon like weapon that you have there in Akram Wadley. Yeah, that 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 forty six yard touchdown reception that he had, um, it was one of the best singular effort plays I can recall uh, as an Iowa fan, and I've been watching the games that I can remember since nineteen eighty one. And I will also say that when Matt Campbell looks at the film of that play, he's going to see two of his defenders who just gave up on it and they wound up tackling Wadley at the one when they when mm-hmm. they when they had just given up but um that was a pretty amazing play and Kirk Ferentz said after the game when he asked what he thought of Brian's play calling he said he thought he it was an exceptional game he said there were a few instances in that game where Brian made calls that basically to paraphrase Kirk that Kirk was maybe had a little indigestion on but he didn't veto, and they worked. And I think you're seeing a change away from oh, tendencies there. And really the first two games, it's a huge, huge departure from the Greg Davis-era tendencies that were pretty pretty easy to pick out. I wonder it's, not even, it's not even O'Keefean. You know, this was the conversation you and I had right at the start of the year. I said I was going to be, or in the preseason, I was going to be fascinated by this dynamic of, of the Sun as the offensive coordinator. I was going to watch this all season long because it's an obvious pressure point, right? If they, if they, they have this trend, which I've talked about for years in this podcast, where no pro, there isn't a program in this conference that's a better job preparing new quarterbacks to play at a high level. We're seeing that again with Nathan Stanley, who's playing above the level of guys we've we've seen as new quarterbacks in their first two starts in the even in the past. All right, so if they didn't break if that trend didn't continue, the blame wasn't gonna go on Kirk, it's gonna go on Brian. And there were two ways to look at this. One, is it nepotism? Is he getting chances because he's the coach's son? Or the optimistic take is having him there because he's the coach's son is you might be able to convince the head coach to do some things maybe somebody else wouldn't be able to do. And it was just going to be a matter of watching the season play itself out and see which of those narratives would, would be determined by the results in the field. Well, so far, you are watching an offensive flexibility and adjustability that we just have not seen. Um, with, with one exception, when Iowa reinvented its whole offense in 04 during a bye week when it was down to white chocolate at running back under Drew Tate. Other than that, you pretty much have known, based on who the offensive coordinator is, whether it's O'Keefe or Greg Davis, you pretty much know what the basic game plan is week in and week out, for good, for better, for worse. You can't really say that about Iowa right now. And if, I'd be excited about that if I were a Hawkeye fan. Yeah, no, no doubt. I, I want to read some. You know, before I do that, I think you and I talked about this in the spring, uh, or maybe even you know once Brian was officially named offensive coordinator. And I heard Mike Halas mention this a couple of week weeks ago on a podcast. And by the way, I, I really am digging Halas and Morehouse together. I'm, Mike's, I, I love Halas. I love his sense of humor, so it's entertaining to me. Um, Mike said that. And again, I think we also said this at the time, that there is a chance that we could really see 
and attacking. You know, Brian liked to hashtag things attack, you know, the first few years at Iowa on Twitter. We could see something. Maybe maybe a sense of urgency isn't the right term, but maybe it is. Because I think the plan is, in the Ferentz household, is you got to win big these next three, four years. You need to go out and you need to leave it all out there so that there is no outcry when Brian Ferentz could potentially become the next head coach. Mm -hmm. You need to leave no doubt. It's like when you, well, it's literally like this. When you play Little League Baseball for your dad and he's the coach, how it was for me, I just had to be not barely better, but a lot better to be the the starting pitcher or to be this, that, or the other because you're going to catch heat if it's not clear. And I think that that's what this is going to be for the Iowa football team and offense, that it has to be clear that Brian Ferentz has the mental makeup and that fans are incredibly pleased and that they basically play balls to the wall these next three to four years. Now, that's not to say that they weren't trying to win games in the previous years. I think it's just going to be a little different, a little different flavor. Two games in, I think we're on the track for that. And I want to read one thing, and I'm not going to say who it's from. You all just need to trust me that it's somebody whose opinions on football, football games, etc., I place an enormous degree of value in. Okay? He sent this to me in a direct message. He says, I think the most important thing I saw from the Iowa State game is a team that believes in what its offensive coordinator is telling them. This was a passing game that was uh, on life support in 2016 with an NFL quarterback at the helm. That had to be incredibly demoralizing for a team to see. The last drive for Iowa against Iowa State in regulation was so methodical and controlled. Iowa's new offensive staff has breathed fresh life into that passing game. Seeing Amir Smith-Marset out there being featured prominently in key moments is a sign they're serious about playing the best player. No uh, Devontae Young or Adrian Falconer tells me those guys have had their shots and they fell to the way side to Amir Smith-Marset and Brandon Smith. I think he hit it on the head. I think it echoes basically what we're talking about. And you, you had no idea that person had sent that to me a few hours ago. Yeah, I completely agree. And if you're an Iowa fan, what you want to avoid is the Kansas State situation. Yep. I mean, they got a, they got a 75-year-old coach battling cancer. And if this is not his last year, then next year when it's Jesse Ernst as a senior, likely is. And it's very obvious they have a new AD there, um, and but you know he wants to give Bill Snyder. He it's like, hey, my name's on the stadium, I get to name my successor, and he wants his son Scott to be the successor. Kansas State fans are like hell to the no, because the guy's done nothing to put his stamp on the program at all, other than he won the Lucky Sperm Club, okay? And they don't. There's nothing he's done that they know of. I'm sure he's worked his tail off within the program. If you're Bill Snyder, you don't come out of retirement at 70 years old after they put your name on the stadium to just because the program was sagging to just have it go in the tank under your son when you retire. But externally, the fan base, the donor base, you know, they have no. They don't know what what evidence other than he won the Lucky Sperm Club is there that Scott Snyder knows his head from a hole in the ground. They don't have any evidence. 
There's nothing he's done to put a stamp on that program at all because it's all Bill Snyder all the time. He runs the show. Well, if the if the Ferentz family plan, which I'm, you know, some you and I talked about three seconds after Brian was hired and the winner, <laughs> if if the Ferentz family plan is to have Brian take over, there he there needs to be some evidence that he can put that he has put his stamp on the program. Okay, especially because he has no other major college ex- coaching experience at this level other than with his father. So we need to see the evidence of what he put on that program, and. They're off to a pretty good start. Now, soon we'll get into um, more physical style of football. Teams that are um, going to try to test Iowa's, are you sure that you're willing to make these adjustments? Are you sure? And we'll see what happens then. But right now, I don't know, you know, given expectations at the start of the year, I don't know how the first two games could have been scripted better because even if they both would have been, uh, you know, unbelievable blowouts, I don't know that you would have learned the things that you've had to learn that you needed to learn before we get to October, November, and Big Ten play. Right. Ten targets for the tight ends in that game on Saturday. Um, you know, the one thing with Nate Stanley, if you want to, you know, critique a 27 of 41 for 333 yards, five touchdowns, no interception performance is he's going to have to learn to dial in the deep ball. Uh, everything else, right on. The deep ball, you know, he, he probably left 28 points on the board. I'm not saying Iowa would have scored 28 more than the 44 they scored because they wound up scoring. I mean, dude, they had like, what, was it four drives of like 89 yards or more in this game, which is insane yeah. uh, in and of itself. And then the rest of the drives, they didn't do anything. Yeah. yeah. That, was a, that was a crazy stat. Yeah. It was like they went three and out, they scored a touchdown. That's pretty much how it went. Yeah, it pretty, pretty much. Um, so I, I had some people tweeting some other things at me. You know, you know, Iowa only gained 164 yards on the ground. They've only, you know, they're averaging 151 yards rushing through the first two games. That's got to change. Listen, folks. Wyoming and Iowa State stuffed eight men in the box all day, all day, and all day. The fact that Iowa was still able to rush for 150, you know, 164 yards against Iowa State, that's that's fantastic. You know, Steve and I talked about this stat, and Steve really hammered this home in the spring, is Iowa had 2,000-yard rushers last year with a passing offense that was the worst since the 1970s. Yeah. I mean, that was a phenomenal – because everybody in the place knew, the you know, just take away the run and they can't beat you with the pass, which they didn't. Teams are still going to have to try to scheme to stop Iowa's run because if you don't do that, you're going to lose. If- John, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, if you take 100 yards off of Nathan Stanley's passing attack – and you put it on Iowa's rushing attack. You're not winning this game. You're not. You're not. You wouldn't have had. En- you would not have had enough possessions. Iowa State's passing attack was too explosive. You would not have had enough possessions. Yep. That's why this was key. You had to. You. I, I, you spotted Iowa State. The 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 type of game they wanted to play, and you still. Well, fans say, well, if you had another hundred yards rushing, they probably wouldn't have done that. I disagree. I, I think this is again where. You, you, you know, you can't be the fan that, get, that that pisses and moans when they don't make the adjustments you like and they lose 17 to 12 in Madison or to Northwestern again. And then turn around and then say, when they make the adjustments you like, well, you know, we didn't get 250 yards rushing. Let me screw you. Here, here's, the, here's what you need to understand. 
score as many points as it takes to win the game period that's it score as many you want to be the team that a game doesn't have to look a certain way for you to win it because you can you can win it either way that's the one thing that if that is the one thing that you know you've often lamented you know how wisconsin in the past you iowa and wisconsin are the top two developmental programs um you know other than d'antonio in his heyday in this conference in uh, in the country really but they have been willing or, or able to take steps to take next steps when Iowa's not been able to. And if, and I would argue the reason they've done that more than anything else, and, and you can say, well, it's good fortune. You create good fortune when you're willing to score as many points as it takes to win the game rather than trying to shape the game to look a certain way. Yes. You're, against North Texas this weekend, you can shape the game to look a certain way. Well, Steve, last week against Wyoming, you said, hey, that's the way the game's supposed to look. Because you don't, shouldn't, if you've got to do scheme versatility to beat Wyoming, hello, that's a problem when you're Iowa. You want to be able to physically dominate them. But these are the, these are the moments here, Northwestern, Wisconsin, game, Penn State in a couple of weeks. Those are the games where score as many points as it takes to win the game. The game doesn't have to look a certain way. The scoreboard does. And you've got to know when those moments are. And that's the difference between being 8-4 and four and 10-2, and 9-3 and three and 11-1. and one. Merci- Mercilessness. You do whatever it takes. What does it take for the game to, to – Ohio State is struggling now. It's the second time in three years we have seen their offense struggle. And I can just tell you it's the same thing both times. Two years ago it was Urban Meyer was hell-bent on, I want to show I can have a passing quarterback. And so you bring all these guys back that set all these records with JT Barrett the previous year. Cardale Jones was lightning in a bottle. Nobody had any film on him at all. And, And he shocked all these teams at the end of the year with no time to prepare. Well, what happened when we got into a long offseason? I had seven months to watch film of Cardale Jones. What happened? Offense was stagnant. They put JT Barrett in. What happens? Offense takes over again. Well, now they're convinced. They think their problem is we can't throw the football. No, your problem is you're throwing it too much. It's the exact opposite. The problem is you don't bring Kevin Wilson in to throw the football more. You bring Kevin Wilson in because when you had all those NFL guys on your defense, he was in Indiana still running the ball on your ass. It's not that you need to – you're asking JT Barrett again to do something he can't do because in Urban's mind, it needs to look a certain way. It's the exact opposite is the problem. Score as many points as it takes to win the game. Iowa did that on Saturday. It's one of the few point, few times you've seen them willing to do it in the Ferentz era, and that's why I, if I were an Iowa fan, I'd be very excited about that. 82 plays. Iowa ran 82 plays the week before they ran 56 against Wyoming. 41 passes, 41 runs. That is, I mean, and the reason I think it's the best game in this series. And again, I want to say, before this, I felt the 2002 game was the best. Because that 2002 game to me was played at a very high level. Did Iowa have some turnovers in the early part of that second half? Yes. But did Seneca Wallace go out and make plays the likes that I hadn't seen very often in my entire life? Absolutely. Greatness was on display. And greatness reached up and won that game. And it was just played at a high level. 
this game to me, you know, because some people was like, well, what? you know, Alan Reisner, former Iowa tight end, tweeted at me, said, well, what about that 2011 game? And he didn't play in that. 2010 was his last year. I said, to me, that game, there were more, Iowa State had three turnovers in that game. Iowa had one. This game, there was just one turnover. And it was a fluky, crazy play that you're not going to see very often when a defensive lineman picks off a, a bullet pass you know, just at the line of scrimmage. You're not going to see something like that. This game, both teams came out and were throwing haymakers. Nobody really lost this game, although Iowa State fans might say, you know, Butler dropping that pass on third down is pretty key, and it was. Unfortunately, it was. This game was just played at a great level. And I also happen to believe that Iowa State, their football program is going in the right direction. And this isn't going to be a team that goes on to win, you know, one or two more games the rest of this year. That's why I think that this one, and maybe we need the rest of the season to prove it out, that this one's the best that I've seen. Um, I, I certainly think it's in the conversation. I'm kind of of the mind. It's got to be really rare for me to say a game my team lost is my favorite game. I mean, I didn't say favorite. I said the best. Yeah, because same thing to me. Game 1985, Michigan one and two in Iowa maybe the best Big Ten game I've ever seen. but And that tells you how great I thought the game was, that it's on my list and we lost. Because <laughs> I'm the kind of guy when we lose, I'm like, well, right, screw that. I, that game never happened. Okay, so you're, you're, you're being a fan, and I get that. I mean, yeah. But, but it's a, it was a great game. It was played at a very high level. Both teams took each side's best shot and came back. And I think that speaks well for both teams in this game going forward. And just to, and I want to go back to what I said before about doing what it takes to win the game, because I just said something and I wanted to see if the stats without without knowing it when I said it, I just went and looked at the stats. JT Barrett threw the ball 35 times on Saturday night, same amount of times as Baker Mayfield. Well, Steve, they were way behind. They weren't way behind until midway through the fourth quarter. This would they were in fact ahead most of this game. They had 16 tailback runs, John. 16 the whole game that's insane why why do you have 16 and they're averaging five yards a pop running the football actually if you look at what weber was averaging almost 10 yards a pop jk dobbins was averaging five and a half a pop so you average that out you're averaging seven and a half a pop with your tailbacks you ran the ball 16 times ohio state's problem isn't that jt barrett can't pass it's that they're asking to pass too much there's no way he should have as many passing attempts as Baker Mayfield. That is not their game. Urban Meyer is off his stride. He thinks this needs to look a certain way. Just like two years ago, I have to show I can prove I've got it. I can develop develop an NFL quarterback. Same thing we've done podcasts with Ferentz for years. When Iowa loses, you can always point to one or two plays here or there, and if they if they'd gone differently or they would have made different adjustments. On Saturday, they did something in-game we rarely see. Do whatever it takes to win the game. I don't care what it looks like. Just win. That's right. That's the right mentality. Just win. Now, against North Texas, now you're stubborn, okay? You come out, you're flat on Saturday, and, you know, you don't ask Nathan Stanley to throw five touchdown passes. You know, if your team is flat, you know, like in a fourth and three, you just say, you know what? Hey, guys, get your effing asses out there. I'm lining up in 22 personnel. We're running for a first down because it's North Texas and we're Iowa. And we ought to be able to pick up three or four yards whenever we want. Those are the moments that you impose your brand. 
But when you're up against equal or better competition, and on Saturday, Iowa State was equal competition, do whatever it takes to win the game. Don't sit there and wait for Wisconsin to drop the ball on the one-yard line so you can escape Madison with a 10-3 to win. Do whatever it takes to win the game, period. Yeah. Um, my favorite game, the best games I saw in person in Kinnick Stadium, 1985 Iowa-Michigan State. And Iowa won that, obviously. But 2010... That's the bootleg game, right? That's the bootleg game? Yep. 2010, Iowa-Wisconsin. And I think that might be my favorite. And I know you're going to think I'm, I'm, I'm making it up, but I'm not. For, maybe because I watched the game on the sideline, working for the Big Ten Network, and I got to experience... I got to almost feel that game. The, the amount of NFL talent that was on the field for that game was ridiculous. I think it was like 17 or 18 players that were in NFL camps or I mean, not even camps. It might have certainly not drafted, but there was so much NFL talent in that game. And it was just incredible. The, 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 the noise from the crowd when Brett Greenwood made that interception and Iowa scored three points and then Wisconsin comes back out and Iowa holds them, holds them to a three and out and the place was as loud as I've ever heard it and then the fake punt. That's pro- so to me, I, I just... The, when I say best games, I really mean just, just I think excellence was on display. And Iowa Iowa State wasn't an excellent game. You know there were there were some flaws in there, but boy was it was it just a freaking slugfest, and that was a ton of fun. And we'll talk about this coming week's game against North Texas on Thursday. You know Ike Bakker's probably a done for the season with an Achilles injury. Uh, and and this was early in the second half when he went down, and Iowa moved Welsh out to right tackle. Another adjustment that we didn't even talk about from that game. So I think Iowa needs to do some things against North Texas to get ready for Penn State the following week with regards to its offensive line flow. So uh, anyhow, now one last point on this: you've heard me say through the years, Steve, that I, you know Iowa has way more to lose than they do to gain in this game, and I wouldn't mind it going away. After the game on Saturday, I thought, man. That's, this is just too much. This is just uh, well, fun isn't the right term because I don't really have fun watching this game. It's more of a meat grinder intestinally, if you will. So, but it was just holy cow, that was just amazing. So I'm like, all right, maybe they should keep it until I see Sunday when the AP and the coaches' polls come out. Now, Iowa w- wouldn't wasn't going to be, nor should they be ranked after a two and zero start. But week one, Iowa gets three votes in the AP and eight in the coaches' poll. Then they go out and beat Iowa State, and they lose a point in the AP poll, and they lose half their points in the coaches' poll. That's my problem. And I told this to Chris Williams. For me, for the series to continue, I just really want Iowa State's program to get to the point where the national media looks at them in a more favorable light than they do right now because really, perceptionally, Iowa has more to lose than they do to win this game. You know, my my wife was wondering why I was disappointed after the game because she's like, well, wasn't Iowa a big favorite? Now, my wife is knowledgeable, but she doesn't follow this intimately, but she's knowledgeable because she's married to me, okay? But Osmosis. she doesn't follow it. She, she doesn't, yeah, but she, because she, I talk about it all the time. But uh, she doesn't know it intimately. So I think she's a pretty good model of it, what probably most poll voters are, meaning knowledgeable, but not intimately so generically so okay and so knowing how bad iowa state's record was last year and how bad iowa beat iowa state last year amy was like well they played really well you got to be happy i'm like 
they were probably a huge underdog. I'm like, honey, they were a two-point underdog. She was shocked. Couldn't believe they were only a two-point underdog, given the difference in records last year. That's sort of a model of what you're talking about with voters. And that is that is the reality, is that for most of the college football intelligentsia, it only matters if Iowa loses. And here's the reality, though. The playoff committee has actually done, for the most part, a very admirable job the first three years. And one of the things they have shown a propensity of, of doing is not giving a flat rip what's in the AP and coaches poll the first week of November. So I, in the old environment we had, I might be more worried about it. Certainly in the BCS environment, I might be more worried about it. In this environment with the playoff committee, I wouldn't be worried about it. All right, that'll do it for this installment of the HN Podcast. Thanks once again to Exile Brewing Company for being a sponsor. Steve and I will be back tomorrow with a second episode this week where we will break down what went on from the Big Ten Conference. A lot to talk about. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.